And now, right to your hosts of Down the Garden Path, Joanne Shaw and Matthew Dressing. to Down the Garden Path, where each week we discuss down-to-earth tips and advice while doing our best to help you seasonally manage your garden and landscape. I'm Joanne Shaw, owner of Down to Earth Landscape Design, and with me is my co-host and co-author, Matthew Dressing. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us. I'm Matthew Dressing, owner of Natural Affinity Garden Design. As landscape designers and gardeners, we believe it's important and possible to have great gardens, which are sustainable and low maintenance, and we want to help you make it happen. That's right. And the traditional lawn has received a lot of heat over the last few years, with many recommending alternatives such as microclovers and specialized lawn blends. Tonight, we're joined by Kathy Jens, author of Ground Cover Revolution, just to discuss which ground cover plants you can use to create a beautiful lawn alternative of your own. Have you replaced your lawn with alternatives? What plants did you use? Perhaps you have a ground cover question for Kathy. We'd love to hear from you. Write us at downthegardenpathpodcast at hotmail.com. And don't forget to stick around for the end of our new for the end of our show for our new stepping stone segment where we answer more listener questions and give you timely tips for your garden and landscapes. Just before Kathy joins us on the show, a little bit about Kathy. Kathy Jens is editor and publisher of the award-winning Washington Gardener magazine based in Washington, D.C. She hosts the popular Garden D.C. podcast and is co-author of The Urban Garden and author of Ground Cover Revolution. Welcome to the show, Kathy. Great to be here. Thanks for having me, Matthew and Joanne. You're welcome. We are We're excited here. about this topic, for sure. We've done a lot of uh, shows, but uh, this is this is a great topic with a great book. Thanks. Well, yeah, I, I can't wait to get into it, especially with two designers, because that's going to give a little bit of different um, than a lot of the gardeners I've been talking to. Ah, interesting. Very nice. Well, why don't we start off? What inspired you to write all about ground covers and lawn alternatives? So my journey was typical um, homeowner. I went from a condo where I was gardening like crazy and then got my hand slapped by the condo board or HOA uh, because I was starting to garden in the not my area <laughs> of the condo. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, you know what? Probably time for me to get a little house with a little bit of land of my own. Uh, so I found the smallest house I could on a little bit. Uh, a urban lot and it's kind of like a pie shaped wedge corner very busy and it was grass from sidewalk to foundation when I moved in and I was like this mowing is for the birds I hate it if you've ever experienced the Washington DC summer um, you know that it is not a very pleasant task (laughs) to be out there in the heat and humidity and mowing and I was like for what I'm not enjoying this grass I'm not doing anything so one of my first tasks was getting rid of all the lawn I could as quickly as I could. And we could probably get into it a little bit later how I did that. But one of my techniques was to go around to different garden club meetings and plant swaps and on lists online. And if somebody said they had a plant that was an aggressive spreader or 
they had a little warning with it could take over your garden. I was like, yes, that plant is for me. And then <laughs> I quickly found out that is called a ground cover. And so I was doing tons of experiments with one ground cover over another and to see what could battle it out with the English ivy I'd inherited in the back where there wasn't turf grass and what would hold its own on a slope or on a busy corner with traffic. So I was doing a ton of experimenting over the years and that's kind of how the book evolved. Wow. Very cool. That's interesting. So you've gathered these plants um, and you're using the term ground cover. So I th sometimes it's, you know, very self-explanatory ground cover. Mm -hmm. sounds like it covers the ground, but could you define what is a ground cover for our listeners? Or is it just as simple as you say, it's just something that covers the ground? Yeah, so it could be as simple as that. And um, my definition is it covers the ground thickly enough that it can suppress weeds and hold in uh, the soil, you know, and has some integrity to it. Because a lot of plants, you know, a lot of perennials can cross the line between ground cover or not. But, you know, if it's like a spindly little growth, like, say, Brazilian verbena, that's not going to be a good ground cover. <laughs> but, <laughs> but there are some shrubs, <laughs> perennials, and even annuals that act as good ground covers. And so it just depends on right plant, right place, right? Okay. Do you consider, like, the walkability, like, the usability of the lawn or of yeah. the space? Of the space, yeah. So you definitely want to look at, and that's part of your right plant, right place, is, is it a wet spot? Is it a dry spot? Does it get a lot of foot traffic? Is it somewhere that you're just looking up a slope and you just want the slope held in, but you're never going to be walking up there? Mm -hmm. And you probably don't want to be weeding up there doing too much maintenance either if it's a steep slope. And you certainly don't want to be mowing. I've seen some very dangerous mowing situations. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen the, the rope um, pull back and forth uh, technique that I would like. I'm just going to avert my eyes and pretend that this person's yeah. not going to use their foot over there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I've mm -hmm. seen some scary situations. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, assessing that. And in the book, we have a ratings charts where we have several different attributes of ground covers that are rated um and one of them is stepability or walkability one is uh whether it's deer proof or not drought tolerant or not or not and then several other attributes that we rate them by so and then you can go in and pick out you know i want a ground cover that is has pollinator benefits also is beautiful and is deciduous like i don't care that it dies back in the winter time in the winter yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The charts are absolutely beautiful. You've got two, four, six of them uh, in in the book itself. Uh, so there's lots of wonderful information. And you you have how many choices do you have specifically in the book? I think you narrowed it down to 40, if I'm remembering. Correct. Yeah. So the cover line says 40 profiles, but I snuck in a couple extra. <laughs> I thought there was a couple more, but yeah, <laughs> I kind of, I kind of like grouped a couple because like one of the profiles is ferns and that's a huge family of plants right there. So right. I just kind of do a general fern category. And another one where I snuck in a bonus was the creeping rosemary, creeping thyme, because they're just so closely associated and related and interchangeable that I figured mm -hmm. I could lump those together and sneak in the 41st one right there, too. Mm -hmm. Which uh, zones do your plants kind of cover? Matt and I were trying to find because we're because basically your Washington, D.C. summer is mm -hmm. very much a Toronto summer of the heat and yep. humidity. We're probably very similar. Um, so how far do, zone wise did you go? 
So we call it the temperate and it's the book is being published globally. So instead of USDA hardiness zones, my publisher asked me to do temperature ranges. So you'll see on there, it'll say coldest it can take basically. Um, and so I've thrown in a few ground covers that can go way up into zone two, USDA okay. hardiness zone two and three, and then a few that can go all the way to 10, 11. Uh, but most of it is going to be that sweet spot from like four to eight, right? That most of us are gardening in. Yes. Say five to seven is, mm -hmm. is, is really the temperate zone of most of us who are gardening um, in most of the U.S. that are, you know, above the deep south and under mm -hmm. the tundra. <laughs> yeah, under the tundra. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> Very nice. Um, Oh, I sorry. I thought I had a question there, but I think I've just clicked something bizarre. So, <laughs> uh, anyways, so we talk about some soil holding and out competing the weeds. Are there any other benefits these ground covers uh, can provide for the soil or the environment or the lawn as an alternative? Mm -hmm. So a lot of it is about stormwater retention these days and mm -hmm. uh, storing water on site. So if you are in a residence where you've had a lawn or previously there was a lawn for 50, 60 years, decades now, it's probably pretty thickly rooted. It's probably a thatch that doesn't absorb much stormwater at all. And the latest, you know, surveys and research on that has basically rated those type of lawns just above concrete sidewalk as far as absorption, sad to wow. say. Unless you're really diligent, diligent about aerating and really getting in there and breaking up those roots, it's not absorbing much stormwater. Um, so a lot of our uh, the ground covers I talk about, some of them are deeply tap rooted, some are more shallow, and they're really good about holding that stormwater on the site and not letting it rush off um, right there to our local tributaries and our bays mm -hmm. and the ocean and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Because we talk a lot about that when we give our lawn advice that often comes up on our show about, you know, because everybody's so keen. I always joke about it being the Masters, right? As soon as that golf tournament is on in early April and all those grass seed commercials come on, uh, you know, everybody thinks they need to be outside walking on that wet grass. And we're always like, get off the grass, like, you know, get off your lawn. You're just decompressing it. Yes. Uh, when it's you know ready for you and and creating that exact thing that and then when we get our rain it's just going to run right off so that that's it is a really important and I think it is something that people are becoming more and more aware of is that um, especially when we have um, drought conditions you know mm -hmm. so you know making sure with the water when we have it is staying on site because um, then I, I'm guessing that the runoff then is slower with ground covers and then can maybe you know, help water our gardens even because it's not running off as quickly as it would if it was grass. Correct. And it, so if it's on top of tree roots, especially, that's mm. not a great place for lawn. And I'm not anti-lawn. I'm not right. going to say rip out all your lawn. That's what mm. I did. That's my story. But there is a place for lawn, you know, especially if you have dogs or you have kids that want to practice their soccer, you know, mm. keep that lawn. But where lawn can't grow, especially, or is not recommended, you know, in a, in a ditch or wet spot is not a great space for lawn. Over mm -hmm. tree roots, not a great space for lawn because you don't want to be running your lawnmower, as you said, compacting those tree roots. Um, you want to either have a light mulching or a light type of 
you know, a shallow rooted ground cover is what I recommend around trees rather than some of the deep rooted ground covers. And they can be a great green mulch is what I call them when they're that. Um, So you're not having to constantly mulch on top of, of that tree root zone and work that soil and compact it all the time. So you use the term green mulch. How do we defer, define a green mulch? Is it just simply like a, a shallow rooted plant that covers the ground or just any living plant that helps you or acts like a mulch to protect the soil? and, and the Yeah, so it's any basically anything that's green that's covering enough, again, to suppress weeds, hold in moisture and, you know, give a little bit of root aeration in there as, mm-hmm. as a green mulch or a green. And that could be a base layer under larger shrubs or trees or even perennials. So it could be that or it could be just that one layer itself. And that's why I think a lot of in garden design we're missing these days is mm-hmm. that base green layer. Um, and that could be in some cases you're in a forest and it's been denuded by the deer. They've taken out that bottom layer and we see that a lot. Or it just could be because people are so in love with mulches, um, like a wood chip mulch or something, that (laughs) they are um, not thinking about that green base layer. Yeah, I think mulches have become so popular and I'm I have to admit I'm I'm guilty of it as well. And I think then it creates us a little bit of a catch 22 in that um, when you then do plant uh, ground covers or like spreading perennials, um, then they don't go as fast because now there's mulch in the way. Right. So it's so then it becomes like, okay, so now I want to transition. I said to Matt before the show, I really like to transition um to to more of a green mulch because I'm tired of putting mulch on my garden um and uh and and I get how nutritious it is and I think it would be more attractive as well Mm -hmm. um but then but they already has mulch on there so how do you like are you literally thinking you have to kind of rake up the mulch or are there some tips that you have to getting started yeah as you're establishing the ground cover you don't want to leave bare soil so that's the catch 22, right? You want yes. the ground to be covered by the plants, but meanwhile, you've got to have something on it. So I just say a light top dressing of shredded leaves is always great. And then you could pull that back as the plants are advancing, or usually they will take over it and consume it themselves. So you're just going to do a light top dressing in the spring and the fall, and then less and less and less each year. So then that okay. gives you a chance for the ground covers to fill in and for you to assess the situation. But the goal is eventually you don't have to do that task in the spring and the fall. That mm-hmm. that green mulch is already there for you. And I have a friend, a garden designer friend who says mulch is not a, a element in your garden. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> it's just a temporary space holder till your plants fill in is how mm-hmm. we should be thinking of it. Mm-hmm. Well, I think there's some nutritional value to it, to, you know, as long as your people are using good quality mulch. So we yes. talk a lot about that on the show that, you know, that how the importance of, of a good quality mulch is that not all mulches are created equal. But yes, I mean, I can see where plant regular plants are more nutritious and more beneficial. Um, do you have a couple of favorites for green mulch for underneath, um, underneath plants? Yeah, one of my favorites is hellebore. And I love to do that, even though it's a little bit of a taller ground cover than most people think about. Under my huge oak trees, it is a great one because it's got one of those attributes that I rate in my book, which is called leaf swallowing. 
And so over the years, I've experimented with different ground covers that can absorb the heavy leaf fall from the trees and then kind of take it up inside them underneath their foliage. And then it breaks down underneath them. And you don't, again, have to do that one task a year, which is rake out all the leaves, chop them up, and then push them back in. Um, So leaf swallowing goes a long way to make a neater looking garden. Um, So that's one of the taller ones that I like. And I would say for a shallow rooted one, uh, maybe a juga where it's not rated as an invasive. Um, So different areas, you check your local invasive list, but where it's not listed as invasive, uh, a juga is a nice shallow rooted one that can form a nice thick patch around tree roots, especially like fruit trees, ornamental fruit trees, like your cherries and your plums. That Mm -hmm. is a really nice color echo as well. So if Mm -hmm. you have like a flowering plum that has kind of reddish leaves to it. Pick a juga with a purple reddishness to it and got something really nice going there. Mm, that's that was great. Nice. You mentioned um, invasive plant lists. Mm-hmm. Uh, where would you recommend or where do our listeners go to find such a thing in their area? Is it just your local municipality or state or county? Yeah, so usually you can just Google your state name and invasive list or official invasives list. Um, you might talk to your local native plant society. They would probably have that available. Um, you could also look online for if you're in the U.S., the invasive councils list is online. And again, everything is local. So if it says it's invasive in Florida, doesn't mean it's invasive in New York State, doesn't mean it's invasive in Vancouver. So uh-huh. definitely do your homework because sometimes people will Google a plant and see the word invasive and freak out. But again, it's local. It's all local. So where it is native could be Europe, could be Asia, could be here. And and will people will even call some of our native plants that are native to their area. They'll use the term invasive. And I prefer the term aggressive. Mm -hmm. So if you're talking about, say, a native plant that's an aggressive spreader, you might use the term aggressive because invasive typically means something introduced into the area that's taking over like english Mm -hmm. ivy is a a good example of that here right right yeah or i always think of like the vinca miner escaping into the woods Mm -hmm. kind of thing yeah and yeah i i think the whole sorry matt i think the whole i mean it is a tricky issue the the invasive plants issue but and i think we have to be reminded that common sense needs to prevail a little bit. You know, if you have that, you know, really, you know, dry spot at the curb and a small area, you know, between the the, the curb and the and the uh, sidewalk, you know, using something like like vinca or something that might be labeled in other people's minds as invasive, but you know, it's really going to grow well there um, mm-hmm. versus being foolish enough to plant it, you know, in, in a backyard that's ravine facing like that, that borders the ravine and knowing that it could jump and escape into the ravine. So I feel like sometimes it's, it's, it's not necessarily the plant's fault. It's just, it's maybe the gardener's fault, like not to blame people, but I just think, you know, there, there, there also needs to be some thinking because it is goes back to what you said about the right plant in the right spot. And so that is the right spot. Yes. It's an invasive plant, or aggressive plant, um, but that's a perfect spot for it. You know, when it's bordered by asphalt and curb on, you know, concrete on either side, it's not going anywhere. But, you know, in a backyard where you you border with a chain link fence, you border a ravine property, that's not the best plant place for it, right? 
Exactly. Yeah. And I would say, especially in your more urban locations, which my first book was on urban gardening, you have a little more leeway unless you're bordering, say, a park um, or, you know, want to plant running bamboo next to a neighbor. (laughs) (laughs) That would not be so neighborly. But, you know, where it's pinned in, like you're saying, uh, against a curb, against a brick house or a concrete, you have a little more leeway there where it's not going to jump anywhere. Um, to use some of those more aggressive spreaders. And I would call them even in those cases, problem solvers, uh, because Uh those are plants that are growing where nothing else will grow. So -hmm. there are some of those, you know, aggressively spreader or invasive type plants that you're like, nothing else is growing there. I need to hold in this soil. You know, it's going to get a bit of traffic, foot traffic. I might even have some bikes coming over here or, you know, other things that, invade the turf on a a busy corner like I have. And guess what I have over a manhole cover on my corner? Vinca. (laughs) It's the only place I have the Vinca because that's the only thing that will grow over a manhole cover over like an inch of soil and Uh in blazing hot sun that gets tons of foot traffic. But I don't want to leave bare soil right out there. Right, right. And I think of Lily of the Valley, for instance, mm-hmm. right? That dry, shady spot where the corner of the house or the side of the house, that's usually where people talk about having, you know, they love their patch of Lily of the Valley or when they buy a new house and they're like, what is this? And I need to get, do I need to get rid of it? And they get advice saying, yes, you need to get rid of it. But it's like, well, do you really? Because nothing else is really going to grow there. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be able to grow grass there. You can put gravel down if you'd like, but you know, um, some things get a little bit of a, a, and, you know, on some of the Facebook groups can be challenging, right? Watching that, the conversations and yeah. stuff. So I think, again, um, you know, uh, just have to common sense somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's so true about, that's where I had my lily of the valley is in the eaves of the house, you know, between two trees and two houses where no moisture is getting, nothing else can grow there. But mm-hmm. lily of the valley is very much behaving in that spot it's not going to go anywhere else but i have a thick patch of it looks great and i would probably have nothing else green growing there at at this point unless i put some containers or i ran irrigation lines that would be my only choice for those Mm -hmm. so we have a couple of uh questions that have come in uh here we go so kelly has written in uh, are ground covers really expensive what are the costs of these ground cover plants yeah so everything is relative yeah (laughs) (laughs) you can go crazy so one of my favorite ground covers is epimediums Mm, and there are very inexpensive common epimediums for three to five dollars for a little quart pint size pot or you can Mm -hmm. get them pretty readily at garden club sales and that sort of thing or from a a neighbor who has some and they're nice slowly spreading mounding epimediums or you can go for those collector epimediums that are 50 100 150 (laughs) dollars same thing in the hostas right you got your common hostas the plantain lilies that people are just giving those away on your local neighborhood list. You just, you just pop a note up there saying, I need to fill in a shady spot. Anybody have extra hostas? And they'll say, come dig them versus those collector hostas. I don't even, that's too rich for my blood. Some of those. <laughs> so, yeah. And of course you can save money by starting from seed or plugs. And I recommend in the book and give a few techniques about starting with the smallest size you can get Mm -hmm. Um, so a tray of plugs rather than 
two gallon or, or larger yeah. size plants is going to save you a lot. Say if you want to start a Carex lawn instead of a turf grass lawn, that would be the way I would go is a tray mm -hmm. of plugs and starting with those and at a certain distance. And then you dig and divide over the years to add more and add more to that. Mm -hmm. And of course, that needs a little patience. If you want to yeah. rip out everything all at once, and then have all ground cover covering everything, that's going to be a little bit more expensive. Mm -hmm. But slowly taking away a little bit of lawn here, replacing the or section here um, over uh, several years, that's going to be a, a bit more kind to your budget. Okay. Right. Yeah. And that is an advantage of ground covers is often like more of the traditional ground covers that they often do come in, like I'm thinking creeping times and, and things they do often come in what I would say like a three or four inch pots, right? Yep. Um, where many other perennials, just your availability is pretty much, you know, one gallon. Um, and then all of that is soil. So I love the plug idea because usually if you're using it in um, you know, dry areas or under trees, you don't have a lot of soil depth. So digging holes, that's going to put a one gallon pot full of, you know, roots and soil into those holes would be tricky, but getting enough where you're just putting the plugs or you're just putting four inch pots in, um, I think you would have much better success, right? Yeah. And I think plants adapt better when they start off smaller in a little, mm. in a little space and they catch up. I've done experiments putting a full gallon hellebore next to that little teeny start and three years later, same size. And yeah. usually the other one, the one that started off smaller does better because it was better able to establish its roots, work around the zone, didn't have to be watered as much. That's the other thing I find is the bigger you start off with, the more you have to baby the plants. Yes. It's coming from a greenhouse situation or another grower situation where it's been well watered and fertilized and, Basically, my gardening technique is very laissez-faire, you know, mm -hmm. survival of the fittest. I, I <laughs> stick you in. I walk away. You look sad. Maybe I'll give you a little bit of attention. Yeah. But yeah. 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 <laughs> they say that, too, about trees. We've had that on discussion on the same thing. Like you and you're planting a, a 50 mil tree versus a 120 mm -hmm. mil tree, you know, the, the 50 mil is going to do much better because it... Yeah. Uh, um, you know, uh, it just will the, the younger tree, the smaller tree. So, uh, so yeah, it's good to know that that happens uh, with the with perennials as well and, and ground covers. Um, because especially, I mean, I think you do want it to fill in fairly quickly, right? Like it's you said, you know, bare earth is now nobody wants bare earth. Yeah. So you want to. It depends on what the ground cover is. If it's the type that spreads quickly and again in the book i give ratings for fast spreading versus slow spreading because mm. you want to pick that for your own situation you're like i really need to get this hillside in fast or i have a few years i can plant some annuals amongst it you know for summer color as this ground cover is spreading and let it and let it go for a few years and do that and then maybe mulch a little bit too around it nice. So Anne has also written in, um, do ground covers get very big? And what is the average height? You were mentioning your hellebores. I mean, they're anywhere 12 to 18 or they can get up to 24 inches tall and wide, some of them. But what, what would you say is the average height of your of ground yeah. covers in general? So in each of the profiles and in the charts in the book, I talk about low, medium and tall. So depending on the situation you want mm -hmm. for your ground cover. 
Um, so the average low is, you know, between two to five inches tall. That's going to be like your ground cover sedums, the creeping times we talked about, mosses mm -hmm. and some of the smaller perennials. And then the next step up would probably be what I call the knee high, like between shin and knee high um, are a lot of the ground covers fall into that. And that's usually the flower stem coming up and flowering uh -huh. and dying back. But okay. then they'll have a nice basal foliage and basil, not like the herb. B-A-S-A-L. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Basal foliage, meaning they have ground hugging foliage that spreads and holds the ground and then sends up a flower one. And that's where I put the rudbeckias. So I think rudbeckias oh. make a great ground cover. Really? They spread by underground stolen nicely. They reseed themselves and they'll go from part shade to part sun and even full sun. They're like a wide range of situations. So where you have those tricky spots, right? where you go from a bed that's almost full shade to almost full sun is hard to transition with the same plant. But Rubeckia is a great problem solver for that. Um, so our, all of our black eyed Susans our natives are do well. And then, of course, there's tons of gorgeous cultivars. But I like the straight species Rubeckia herda, um, especially because I feel like that's a real good goer. Right. It stays right. pretty healthy and thick um, is good weed suppressor. And nobody objects to the bonus flowers. I mean, you could cut them <laughs> off <laughs> and just keep the basal foliage yeah. all year long, but you're going to enjoy have the, have the bonus of flowers and have those for the pollinators, the seed heads for your birds, yeah. and be able to enjoy those as cut flowers yourself as well. Yeah. Very nice. That is well, good. We hit the bottom of the hour. I'm going to jump in and do my uh, little mid-station ID and say thank you, everybody, for joining us here live on Reality Radio 101. Thank you as well if you're listening at home or in the car uh, to the podcast that you've downloaded. We appreciate you as well. I'm Matthew Dressing here with my co-host and co-author, Joanne Shaw, and you're listening to Down the Garden Path. Joanne and I enjoy hosting Down the Garden Path each week, bringing you interesting and relevant topics to help you achieve a great garden. We learn right along with you from our research and from the wonderful guests that join us here on the show, like this evening's guest, Kathy Jens, author of The Urban Garden and her latest book, Ground cover revolution which we're talking about tonight all about ground covers and creating a lawn alternative don't forget you can spend more time with us down the garden path follow us on instagram facebook and youtube at down the garden path podcast is our handle you can also find us on all your favorite podcast providers and while you're there please hit that subscribe button to be notified of new content and don't forget to like share and leave us a comment we love hearing from all of our listeners. You can always write us anytime during the week on or off the air. Down the Garden Path podcast at hotmail.com is where you can find us. As we continue with the show, we do have a couple more questions for you. Uh, Monica, I think you spoke to this a little bit earlier with being on a slope and again protecting the soil. But Monica has asked, uh, does planting ground cover help with erosion? And if so, uh, what are the best plants for this issue? Or are there some best plants hmm. for this issue? Yeah, so erosion is one of the great uh, problems that ground covers can solve. And that's actually why a lot of what we term as invasive plants were introduced to yeah. our market. Um, everything from kudzu vine 
<laughs> to our English I the reason we have English IV is because somebody was like, Ooh, we need to hold in that slope. Let's bring in this mm. problem solver. And then it took off and it was right. it was a bit too successful, right? Um, but so I recommend a lot of the low growing shrubs that I talk about in the book as great ground covers for slopes. Um, because those are ones that can fill in like if you have a sunny slope, I use ground cover roses. So the low growing roses mm. that kind of spill over. Um, and make a beautiful carpet of flowers. And then that's, they're great for spreading. And sometimes they'll tip themselves into the soil and mm -hmm. make a second plant. Those are great when shrubs do that for you. Of course, you can bend over a branch and help that along. Yeah. Um, so there are a few different shrubs you can use like that. There's one that I didn't include in the book. Um, like there's, there's bearberry and some of the native mm. ones that are, um, Canadian Pacific Northwest natives that, and I'm not sure who your um, listener is writing in from, but that might be something to look into for her as well. Mm -hmm. Some of the ground cover, I think of some of the ground cover junipers. Do you cover, mm -hmm. yeah, some of those, you know, hot, dry? Especially, yeah. It was funny because I, I was speaking at the Northwest Flower and Garden Show in Seattle in February. And I mentioned junipers as one of my favorite carpeting, low yeah. growing, very low maintenance. You know, it's completely set it and forget it in my book. Yes. Um, and some of the new introductions, there's some golden creeping ones. There's some with a bluish tint. There's some with more of the green tint. And the audience was kind of like, meh, juniper. <laughs> <I know. laughs> but I was like, you know why it's so common? And you see it at every fast food place and shopping yes. center. Because it works in those situations. But yeah, yeah I get sure. why they're kind of bored by it. For sure. But I think so, when you see them in the, like, you know, those drive through parking lots and stuff, there's like one here and one there and uh -huh. one, right? With And I, I love the line in the in, in your book when you, we'll come back to that, because you're pretty direct about like the plants. But, you know, I think if you're putting them closer together and making a carpet, and if you're trying to protect the erosion and weed suppression, because I know uh, several of my clients, I think of that had, you know, backed onto a ravine or more of a naturalized property with a slope, they were fighting, um, you know, uh, garlic mustard, and they were fighting lots of other weeds. And you couldn't even, they knew they needed to get rid of that, but they couldn't even go down there to do that, you know. No. So I think, I think if you, we need to, because I'm, you know, certainly not necessarily a juniper fan either, but you know, planted together closer and letting it, you know, kind of take over to prevent that weed and not only the erosion, but I think the weed suppression is, is a second, you know, bonus there because it's a really hard place to keep, keep control. Right. And even trying to apply mulch on a slope. Yeah. I mean, yeah. what are you going to do? Use glue? Like, yeah. <laughs> like yeah until like, we get a big rain. Right. Exactly. I've, I've seen too many wood chips floating down to the bottom of a, a hillside. And so in that case, you know, some of those low growing shrubs are pretty much only thing that's really going to work for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah. And I do want to give a shout out to, I know we've got more questions, but that for people want, interested in, in picking up this book of Kathy's, the pictures are very beautiful and they do give a really great uh, accurate representation of how she's, suggesting you use them in in a uh, ground cover mode and so sometimes I know we can talk about it on a podcast but sometimes you've got to see it to believe it so I just a shout oh, out yeah. that please uh you know consider uh, purchasing her book as I think it will transform your gardening um so just a shout out for that because I think that's important 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, Probably. in each of the profiles, I try to do a close-up of what it looks like maybe in bloom or one of its other beneficial facets, and then a, a wider shot of what it's going to look like in a real garden. Mm. So that was one of my aims with taking a lot of the photos in the book. About yeah. two-thirds of the photos are taken by myself. It was to go into real gardens and yeah. where they are in situation. So it's not like, you know, a garden catalog where somebody took Photoshop and duplicated the plant 50 times. Right. <laughs> this is These are actually how they are growing in a real garden. Awesome. Thank you. That brings us to Tim's question. Uh, is Kathy's book available only online or stores as well? Uh, saying he's loving the topic and that you've joined us tonight. So where can our listeners find your book? Yeah, so Ground Cover Revolution, wherever you buy books, should be available. If they don't have it, they can order it. And, of course, you can order it direct from Amazon or bookshop.org if you want to support your local independent book sellers. Um, Many of the public gardens, like gift shops, are carrying it now. So that I always tell people I love to support local independent bookstores and our public garden gift shops. Um, And, of course, you can order it from uh, the publisher directly, which is Quarto, like the number four, Quarto Publishing. And um, if you want to do a like a group order for your garden club, that's the route I would do. Ah, good. Um, Dave has written in a good question. This one's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, hey, Joanne and Matt, doesn't ground cover attract rodents in your yard? It leaves a nice place to nest and hide. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So that's something I've heard. Like there's some, uh, I don't want to call it an urban legend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's, Wives there's, or well, yeah, one of those things. Yeah, yeah. There's something <laughs> spreading around on the internet about that. And so... <laughs> There is a case that some low shrubbery could hide rodents, but that could be true of every garden, everything yeah. growing growing on your ground. So mm-hmm. unless you have concrete, uh, there's going to be, and you're wanting as one of your goals to attract wildlife and benefit wildlife. So you're going to have good and bad wildlife too. Um, but I would say just do that once a year, a cutback of a lot of the ground covers that usually do for maintenance in March, you know, late summer, not late summer, or late uh, winter into early spring. You might cut back your carexes and stuff. And that's when you can go through and look and see. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I haven't found that to be the case. And I'm in a very urban exposed situation where I know I have a college next to me with dumpsters and you know some raccoons and others taking advantage of that (laughs) they're not living in my ground covers amazing yeah we've got raccoons too so yeah that's another thing we have in common with dc Uh, (laughs) you mentioned cutting some of them back so do the ground covers do all the ground covers require some sort of maintenance do they need to be cut back or pruned or shaped in any way? Or are they just kind of like you said earlier in the show, some of them just being like like the junipers, set it and mm-hmm. forget it? Yeah, the junipers are probably your lowest maintenance. And, and some of the others like mosses and ferns, just while they're getting established, you might need to weed around them or weed amongst them as they're getting established and do that little top dressing of organic mulch too um, as they're getting established. And then some of the others just need that yearly haircut. So you can just do that whack back again at the end of winter, early spring. And that's more of a rejuvenation haircut. And in the last couple of years, I've been experimenting with not doing that haircut. So Mm -hmm. like with your hellebores, Mm -hmm. you know, the advice is always to cut back 
the foliage when it starts to get ratty and yucky to let the bloom show. And that's more because we're liking the neater look than mm. it is for the plant because I've let it do it itself and the old foliage just dies back. You know, you can go through and pull out a few of them if, if they look unsightly. Same mm -hmm. thing with the epimediums, the same advice where you're cutting back the old ratty foliage because you're letting the new um, flowers come up and you want them to show better. But if you don't, you know, if you go away for three months skiing or something and skip that season, <laughs> then guess what? Mother Nature takes care of it. And it's, it's more for cosmetic reason and for renewal for you. Right. Um, than it is for the health of the plant. Right. Yeah, and that goes back to the whole, um, you know, needing to put the garden to bed or have it be spotless, but that's not really a garden, you know? It's not like cleaning your kitchen. It's it's kind of like letting nature be, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think when we see those brown crispy edges on leaves and stuff, we tend to be like, oh, it's dying, it's dead, but it's still doing something. It's, it's performing a landscape function out there. Um, so it's really how much you tolerate. And of course I talk a lot about in the book about HOAs, homeowner associations mm -hmm. and local municipal you know, municipality or county or state or province, your, your local mm -hmm. rules. Um, so things are changing slowly. So mm -hmm. some of them might say it has to be turf grass. Well, a lot of them, it's just, they're just happy if it's green ground cover. So mm -hmm. you can get away with carexes and like we talked, you said in the introduction, clovers and some of the other lawn mixes um, will be just as good. Uh, so it can be a little bit more lax that way versus going straight to, say, a prairie look, which right. might not be OK in the front yards of a lot of places. It right. still get frowned on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah Ground covers as lawn al alternatives. So you were telling us your story was you've taken, you're not anti-lawn, but you've removed your lawn and created a beautiful ground cover alternative. So tell us about your story, how we might go or our listeners might go through the process of, you know, choosing their uh, ground covers alternatives. What's that journey look like? Is it intensive or how do we go about creating a new lawn alternative with ground covers? Yeah, so I would say, you know, open the book, look at a few of the inspirational photos, see which situation you want. Like if I have full shade, but it's dry, maybe I'm going to experiment with some epimediums. I'm going to plug them in in a couple places and see which ones I like. Do that for a year or two and then go back and buy more of those. So see what you like. Also go to local garden tours and public gardens. Look what's successful there in your local areas. I can't, you know, stress more your local public gardens and going on local public tours like uh, the Garden Conservancy hosts and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, seeing what's successful in your neighbor's lawns. I always say carry your camera, which is your phone right in your pocket. Yeah. <laughs> Don't trespass, you know, stay on the sidewalk, <laughs> but take a picture. And then you can go back and research that later. You can be like, wow, this whole hillside looks gorgeous and it's not turf grass. What is that? And then you mm -hmm. might come home and find, look it up and see that's the native Pachysandra or that's the Aronia berry or something like that. Um, and the other thing is, oh, when I was starting, one of the techniques I used was the lasagna or layer method. And okay. you probably talked about it, I'm sure, on your podcast mm -hmm. of the easiest way to establish new garden beds um, is by that smothering and layering with compost on top and then planting into that the next season. Mm -hmm. um, 
And that could be a small area that you expand every year at a time, or you could just do a whole section of your yard and take that out. If you want to go whole hog, so to speak, and just take out that whole lawn overnight, you can also rent um, the grass roller machines and they just kind of like zip up your whole lawn like a roller carpet. It's pretty Mm -hmm. cool watching them, but you know, it's, that's a heavy duty machine. And I would advise getting a helper to do that or hiring somebody. It's, it's really not something that I physically think I could even handle that machine myself. Yeah. Yeah. It looks easy to watch it, but it's really, yeah. Lawn cutter, you know, sod cutter. Yeah. They are a lot of work for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So um, and when you did, I've done the the lasagna method um, with cardboard. Have you done it with cardboard or with newspaper? Yeah, I'm a big fan of using the thickest section of newspapers you can get or double mm-hmm. or tripling it. I always say the Washington Post, I used to say the front section, the biggest <laughs> thick section. But now it's like uh, maybe two sports sections on top of each other. They're getting thinner <laughs> and thinner these days, right? Yeah. Cardboard yeah. Um, has a little bit of a drawback these days because a lot of it is treated with a chemical to make it slide. I don't know if you've noticed that. Oh. Um, it kind of has like a spray or like a thin layer of plastic sprayed yeah. on it. And also the tape and any labels have to be removed. Yes. And because it's a little bit thicker, if you use a thicker cardboard, if you put it over tree roots, that can cut off some of the oxygen to the tree root mm. zone. But say if it was in a flat out lawn area, that would be fine. Yeah. Or like uh, maybe your vegetable garden plot, that would totally be fine to, mm-hmm. to put some cardboard down. But again, yeah, any of that tape or anything else you don't remove is going to be in the soil the next time you dig. It'll, yes. The, yeah. the cardboard will break down nicely because... It's tree fiber. I mean, that's what paper is. That's what newspaper is. And newspaper is printed with soy inks. So literally soy ink and tree fiber. So that's Mm -hmm. why I side with the newspaper. Yeah. 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 I do remember us having like looking for specific kind of cardboard and, you know, bypassing some of the more waxy ones. And I was careless in a few places of not removing the packing tape. And so then, yes, in subsequent years, digging in going, oh, look, here's some more packing tape, you know, because it obviously (laughs) doesn't decompose. But it was effective of I didn't turn it into a, a, a I just turned it into a garden. So I got rid of, you know, where it was a hard place. It wasn't growing grass well and just made it into a garden. So yeah, so it's, um, so I think it is an effective way to do it. But I do realize that you need to start, um, because plants are expensive. So you need to start small. And, you know, it they're not, it's not, I mean, I was patient enough. And I think my neighbors thought I was crazy in the sense that it was like, you know, all mulch and, and empty for many, 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 many months until, you know, it got breaking down. So if you are going to start, uh, then yes, I think starting small, and knowing that you've got to, you know, put good things in the soil, like the ground covers and things to get going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the lasagna layer method, you know, if you do that in the fall, like September, mm-hmm. October, let that cook, so to speak, over the winter and then come back in the spring. That's like the perfect timing. Yes. Of course, yeah. I'm talking to you now in springtime and people are ready yes. to go right now. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So now is now it's not a good time to do it, everybody. But but uh, unless you're just wanting to do it in small, small bits mm-hmm. or if you have sometimes I think people are starting with areas that 
nothing grows there anyway. So you are, you kind of already have it, you know, ready mm -hmm. to go to, to start uh, using some things. And I know Carl is asking about, I heard the term carpet forming regarding ground cover. What does this mean exactly? Thank you. Yeah, so that can mean a couple different things. Um, some of the new trends in ground covers are literally to make the ground covers knit together like a carpet. Um, so you might have like a part shade ground cover over here and a full sun coming over here and they'll kind of knit together into a mosaic. Um, so that can be one way of looking at carpet. And another one is to actually plant a mosaic carpet ground cover. So you would take like a you know, almost a formal square or rectangle that you would um, tape off or, you know, mark off in your garden and plant a tapestry, literally mm -hmm. look, look like a tapestry rug in your garden of different ground, very low growing sedums and very low growing of the herbs could be in there as well mixed in. And I've seen some beautiful renditions of that as well. Yeah. Yeah. You can really have fun with it. So, you know, that's something they they can be, you know, flowering as well, and they can be very attractive. So I think, you know, I mean, in a room, when you think of a carpet, it's never necessarily like the design feature, right, in a room. But for, for a ground cover, carpet in your garden can be a feature, right? Mm -hmm. And I know uh, one of the things I noticed in your book, um, and I have one or two of them, and they did great all some while winter was... Um, um, Oh my gosh, coral bells. So you had the oh, caramel, yeah. you know, so thinking of things, I think a little outside the box and you mentioned no one would consider necessarily hostas as a ground cover, but they like, so bigger plants that can really, if you group them, kind of mass plant them. And I know my caramel um, coral bells, they stayed, they were pretty evergreen all winter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they're one of the ones, again, that gets that little bit of crispy edge that you can just give it a little haircut at the end yeah. of winter time and it bounces right back for you. I love those hookahs, the, the coral bells. They're just available in so many new colors and combinations. Just mm. gorgeous, gorgeous. Yeah, Always coming out with new ones, which is super exciting. Mm -hmm. Well, Kathy, as we are reaching into the last 10 minutes of the show, as we're wrapping up, is there anything you wanted to you know, shout out or say or anything close to your heart you wanted to share with our listeners? Perhaps a, a podcast of your own. <laughs> yeah, so I'm a, the host of the Garden DC podcast. So that's all one word, G-A-R-D-E-N-D-C. And we're mostly aimed at mid-Atlantic gardeners, so kind of New York State through North Carolina on the East Coast of the U.S. But we've got listeners all over the world, and we're pretty much zone 6-7. So if you have a similar zone, we think you have mm -hmm. a lot in common with you. And one of our past episodes, about maybe six episodes ago, was called Ground Covers versus Ground Covers. Mm -hmm. And that I was interviewing another ground cover expert, and he is from outside of Vancouver. Mm -hmm. And so I think that one might be uh, one for your listeners to look out for. If they're really interested in ground covers, that's a fun episode to listen to while we're comparing and contrasting what ground covers we like and our different philosophy about ground covers. Very cool. That does sound like an exciting episode. And just for all of our listeners, uh, we will put that in our show notes, uh, a link to that podcast as a follow up yeah. to our show. So yeah, thank you so much, Kathy, for, for joining us here on the show. A beautiful book. 
uh, ground cover revolution packed with wonderful uh, information and beautiful photos. I hope it inspires uh, everybody to take a look and think differently about their ground covers mm-hmm. and how they are mulching and, and layering their gardens. Yeah, you know, green and- mulch. I think that's the big takeaway yeah. right, from today's show uh, is think about a green mulch. So we don't have to lug those bags anymore, everybody. <laughs> 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 or get those big deliveries, uh, yep. for sure. So, and we'll have all your socials and all your information on our uh, on, in our show notes as well. Thank you so much, Joanne and Matthew. Right. Thanks again for joining us. Thanks and we'll uh, us. catch up, I'm sure, shortly. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Kathy. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Um, and now to chat about our stepping stones. Matt, you had some great ideas for our stepping stone segment today. <laughs> I did? Oh, let me jump down into our stepping (laughs) stones, (laughs) because do I remember what they are? Um, Just as a reminder, you know, things are warming up today. It's 20 degrees here in the GTA. Mm -hmm. Uh, Garden centers are looking fresh and exciting, so definitely hit your independent garden centers. But the best selection of your fruiting trees and shrubs are out right now. If you are looking for a fruit tree or a shrub, or you are looking to get into some new edibles this season for your garden, now is the time to be looking. Especially, remember, if you have trees and shrubs, they're woody. You're going to find them outdoors at your garden center anyways, so they can be outside. You don't have to baby them like, you know, herbs or some herbaceous fruit or vegetables, yeah, like your tomatoes. So definitely take another uh, look for your fruiting trees and shrubs, especially. And again, along that line, trees and shrubs, you can plant them now. The ground is workable. They are hardened off. They're out in your nursery outdoors. So if you are looking to add some trees and shrubs, but you're waiting for that May 2-4, you know, there are certain exceptions, you know, your tender, you know, Japanese maples or, you know, something softer like a katsura. You might want to... Hydrangeas, yeah. Hydrangeas, exactly. You may want to watch because a light frost will damage and set them back a little bit for sure. Uh, But again, trees and shrubs right now are out there and available. Remember, too, with the trees and shrubs, like you were saying, Joanne, hydrangeas. We're going to see some of the hydrangeas, definitely. Uh, but depending on where you are, as hydrangeas come into bloom, a lot of the growers then release more hydrangeas right. that they're growing on for the period of sales in those flowers. So don't be dismayed if you see a group of flowers or plants that you like, but your uh, the one you're after isn't quite there yet. It's probably coming to whenever it's going to be blooming in your areas when mm-hmm. she'll show up or the greater selection will show up. Right, right. And I think even some of the ornamental grasses get held back a little bit because some of them really want heat. Yes. So they, they don't show. So I think people like think that um, one, if you've got ornamental grasses in your garden and you think it's dead, wait until the beginning of June. Nothing, you know, please don't take anything out of the garden that you think might be dead until the first week of June, at least, because many things start late. Um, and it depends on everybody's garden's different. So again, I said this last week, you know, your neighbor across the street who gets full sun uh, and the west sun and the hot sun in the afternoon is different than if you, you know, your east sun where you just have morning sun. So everybody's garden, even though it's the same plant, it, it's going to have a different uh, different cycle. So, um, so yeah, so sometimes the ornamental grasses get held back a bit at the nurseries because they want, they need some heat or they're there and they don't look like much because they need some heat to get going. So, um, so keep that in mind uh for sure so um yeah 
Excellent tip about, yeah, because the grass rose is of right. Sharon, I think of Rose of Sharon's yeah. um, um, perennial hibiscus, you know, people, butterfly bushes, people are looking for some of those late season things. You know, if they're blooming later in the season, then the chances of them being available first thing in the spring is a little bit less. Um, but it doesn't mean they're not going to come. They're going to be there. So that's something that, um, you know, people need to understand. There is a cycle and there's a method to the madness. Um, yeah. and a lot of things like the Japanese maples are coming from, you know, some of the growers will grow a certain percentage themselves in the winter, you know, in greenhouses and then harden them off to get, you know, so a little, you'll see a little sprinkling of them. But then most of them come from BC or Oregon. So they definitely wait to past, um because I've seen some people asking for like more of the rare varieties and things like mm -hmm. that, where to find them. They're coming. They just, those ones are, are being grown uh, in other countries or other areas. And we want to wait until the, the chance of frost is, is passed. And if it something does get a little bit of frost damage, it's not your chances of losing it. Like it's not like vegetables, like you said, right. We can't put our tomatoes and pepper plants outside. You know, you might get a little bit of leaf damage, but overall the plant will tough it out and be fine. So, um, but it's a great point that you bring up the, the fruit plants because those go fast, don't they? They go, they just go so fast. Um, I was touring some local garden centers uh, just before this weekend and people were leaving with all like the blueberries and the raspberry mm -hmm. bushes and the unique everbearing strawberry baskets that were coming in. Uh, not that that's woody, uh, but like has caps and some of the uh, brazzleberries or the, that's the bushel and berry is the now the new brand, the thornless container varieties and the espalier apples and the fruit salad trees. They're all moving very, very fast. So if you're looking for one or a self-pollinating tree or shrub, they're out there now. So don't don't wait. Don't wait. The right mm -hmm. now is the time to strike. All yeah. right. <laughs> that is great. As we hit the end, um, I guess my, the only other stepping stone we had was don't forget sods available now, but be patient. Don't let your sod dry out. Much like Kathy said, right, with the big plant versus the small plant, sod is a big plant on open soil with soil that's been catered to growing that sod. So it does take a lot of water and a lot of patience for those to interface between those two soil textures. So uh, check for sod now as well if you're thinking of doing that. And that brings us to almost the end of the show. So don't forget, we have set out our podcasts on YouTube. So if you're mm -hmm. listening, if you're listening live, maybe you don't download the podcast or you don't download the podcast period, uh, but you watch lots of videos on YouTube like many of us do. You can find Down the Garden Path and lots of past episodes, more and more uh, as the weeks go by being uploaded of past episodes on to YouTube, uh, so you can check us out there. Don't forget, you can also check us out on Patreon, buy us a coffee, show your support for the podcast as well, uh, and you can uh, support us as we take a lot of time and effort to bring you uh, the show. Don't forget as well to check us out on our own websites. You can find Joanne at www.down2earth.ca and all of her social media links there. And you can find myself at Natural Affinity. .ca and all of my social media is there. We love hearing from all of you. That brings us to the end of the show. I think I hear that outro music going. <laughs> uh, but next week we will be back. Note that May 22nd, it's the big May 2-4 weekend here in the GTA. Uh, Joe, Ann, and I will be away. And then as always, we'll wrap up the month with our June in the Garden. So until next week, everyone, thank you for tuning in to Down the Garden Path. Uh, here on Reality Radio 101. 
and I will see you all next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Down the Garden Path with your host, Joanne Shaw and Matthew Dressing right here on Reality Radio 101.